Would you pray with me? Lord, may our hearts be open to your word this morning, a strange but transformative word. Move us into deeper faith and move us into the world for greater action. In the name of the one who lives in us, Jesus the Son, amen. From ages 9 to 18, I went to church camp every summer. And although the camp was located at the foothill of Mount Rainier, I was without a doubt spiritually transported to the mountaintop each of those weeks. I loved camp. I loved the songs, the snacks canteen, the morning and evening chapel services, Bible studies, the messages geared toward children and teens, the mess hall food, and the games and competitions. Sometimes, Miss Sandy, I even ventured into the crafts shack. (laughs) Very unlike me. Come Saturday morning, though, without fail, I was miserable having to say goodbye to my camp friends. I was so sad to leave my spiritual mountaintop and have to return to my familiar life in the valley. I suspect we've all had what we call mountaintop experiences, camps, retreats, vacations. Mountaintops are those times we feel transformed from our regular selves into new selves. Each year we read about the transfiguration of Jesus this otherworldly story that clearly was so important that the gospel writers, Mark, Luke, and Matthew, each included them into the accounts of Jesus' life. The Greek verb for transfiguration is metamorphos, which means to change from one form to another, to be transfigured or transformed, literally or figuratively. Before the day, that day on the mountaintop, Peter, John, and James had been traveling the countryside with Jesus. They had witnessed the crowds press in on him, seeking his healing. They heard Jesus say what would be demanded of them in order to be his followers. With their ears, they heard his words, but their minds and their hearts couldn't comprehend his meaning. Jesus told the disciples he would suffer, be rejected, be killed, and raised on the third day. He said, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. That's a lot to take in. About eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter, John, and James up on the mountain to pray. And it wasn't unusual for Jesus to steal away alone 
But this time, he took these three guys. And while praying, the glory of the Lord came down upon him, and his clothes dazzled brilliant white, and his face transfigured, just as Moses' face shone while he was on Mount Sinai receiving the clay tablets from God himself. Moses and Elijah were there with Jesus on the mountain, showing us that Jesus stood in the lineage of his ancestors, that Jesus is held up by the stories of Moses and Elijah and their strength and their faith. As the fellowship of Jesus, Moses, and Elijah transpired, Peter, James, and John were terrified and sleepy. Isn't that an interesting <laughs> detail of the story? My husband said, this is an aside, my husband said, they're like those goats that you startle and they just fall dead asleep. That was a nice analogy. That's from a biblical scholar. That's what he, that's what Tim does. But true to his extroverted self, as he slowly awakes, Peter blurts out, Lord, wouldn't it be great to stay up here? Shall I start building structures for you three? And he doesn't even know what he's saying, which I sympathize with. It literally takes the voice of God from the cloud to shut Peter up. God tells Peter and the disciples what is required of them. Just simply listen. Listen. It's the same message that the voice from heaven gave when Jesus was coming up out of the baptismal waters in the River Jordan. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Jesus is now the divine presence among you, God is saying. Peter says, it's great to be here. Let me build you and Moses and Elijah three tiny houses to stay. May we remain here basking in the glory. May we set up camp on the mountaintop, protected from the pain and suffering and demands of the people down below. On the mountaintop, Jesus is affirmed of his belovedness as God's child. He is affirmed of his true identity. In him is both humanity and divinity as a holy paradox. His divinity doesn't keep him high and lifted up in the clouds. His divinity does not keep him away from the people who need him down below. Jesus was never protected from the work of caring for suffering people. And neither are his disciples. Neither are we. Jesus descended the mountain with three silent men. And as soon as they reached the bottom of the mountain to the plain, they were met by a distraught father and his demon-tormented son. And immediately Jesus got to work. He set him free from his affliction, and he healed him, and he made him whole. 
There's a rhythm to life, this ascent and descent, ascent and descent. It's the ascents of, ascents of life, those life-giving mountaintop moments that give us energy and fuel to live difficult days or years. The mountaintop moments make it possible for us to steadfastly endure hardships without being crushed. I'd like to believe that when people come to church, like you all, or synagogue, or mosque, or temple, within the community of faith, worship can be many mountaintop experiences. Because genuine fellowship is the bread and wine that nourish us and sustain us in our darkest hours. Being in a space that has been set apart for us as we ascend the mountain is to give us life. We return into the world breathing a little lighter, our spirits a little stronger, more engaged in the work of the Spirit for the week ahead. This story is so peculiar. And we might wonder, what was the purpose of the disciples being present at Jesus' transfiguration? The purpose, I think, was not solely for the disciples to understand more clearly who Jesus was. Witnessing the transfiguration was more for James and Peter and John to understand who they were, who they were becoming. On the mountaintop, they finally understood what Jesus had been telling them below. It was they who were experiencing transfiguration. Mountaintop experiences mold us into Christ's disciples, disciples who can descend into the valleys of the world to be for God conduits of healing for a hurting world God so loves. Now, what a tragic week we have all experienced. We have watched, we've been attached to our screens, watching or reading about the horrors of a senseless war foisted upon the Ukraine, hearts around the world are broken. And we are also arriving at the second anniversary of the start of the COVID pandemic. Nearly six million people have died, 946,000 in the United States alone. And our hearts break for the suffering and trauma we've all endured. And we're not out of the woods yet. In Texas this past week, there have been moves made for outright discrimination against trans kids and their parents. And yet, and yet, in the same week, we also give thanks for the first African-American woman nominated to the Supreme Court. Ascent and descent. Ascent and descent, valleys and mountaintops, suffering 
and hope, dying and rising. That's our story. And Lent begins this week on Ash Wednesday. And Lent is about the movement of descent. In Lent, we intentionally leave the mountaintop and we descend into the plains and deserts of our own hearts and souls and minds. For six weeks, Lent is about going deep inside of us where we can't look away from ourselves. We can't look away from our emotions or behaviors which we've grown quite comfortable with. In Lent, we boldly trek into uncomfortable spiritual and emotional terrain. The paradox of self-examination, I find, self-examination and self-reflection, is that the more in touch we are with our own pain, the more in touch we become to the world's pain. But it takes discipline to clear out the distractions that crowd our hearts and minds and keep us from listening to what God is saying and looking at what God is showing us. There's a familiar children's book called A Squash and a Squeeze about an old woman. Really, I shouldn't even say that about a woman of later age <laughs> whose house feels too small for her, feels like it's not enough space. So she seeks the advice of a wise fellow who tells her to fill her house with farm animals. So she does, but her house begins to smell bad and the noise gets to be too much, and she begins to be crowded out, and finally she's fed up. So she moves all the animals out, and guess what? Her house feels so spacious. Like the woman at the other end of her life, our lives fill up with too many things that distract us from listening and looking at the world. And Lent, if we take advantage of it, gives us the time and the opportunity and the break to clear out the clutter in our hearts and in our minds. So the next six weeks, I hope that Lent provides for you many mountaintop experiences, if you let it. Mountaintops that will give you strength to go back down into the valleys of your lives or into the valleys of the world and give you strength for the living of these days. May it be so. Amen.